hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Well, welcome back everybody and welcome to another brilliant episode of the Places Will Go show. Uh, very blessed this morning, uh, this morning our time, Richie's actually somewhere else in the world, but anyway, let's forget time zones. Welcome Rob Bloom, who is at Aston Martin F1, lead marketer there, and uh, welcome, Rob. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for having me on this morning. Yeah, so CMO at Aston Martin Formula One. I mean, it doesn't really get much more glamorous than that. I mean, you might come on to tell us otherwise, but just let's hold that, that thought for, for a little while. You know, do all the, all the branding and marketing and all that, but a really, truly iconic brand in what I know is a fast-paced fast-paced environment. We've had Ellie Norman on uh, a wee while ago, back in July 21, I think, and she talked to me, you know, there is an inherent excitement and adrenaline to the sector. Uh, I can say that coming from insurance, you know, I can at least see some relativity there. Um, you're about 18 months in uh, and you've had some great results. So was when I was checking back, also, or seen a massive increase in the global fan base, doubled social audience. Um, and you have some pedigree in Formula One, so you were at McLaren before, so you know your way around. Uh, and that obviously had some great success as well. So you've had a glittering career in a glittering industry. And today we get to find out a bit more about what makes you tick and how you got there. Also, interestingly, people may not be aware that back in the day you did found a content marketing agency. So you've seen both sides of, of that particular equation. Uh, and you were named a leader in sport under 40 as well. And um, I noticed on your LinkedIn, that you uh, follow Bill Gates and Gary Vaynerchuk. And it's sort of like the yin and yang of life there. So maybe we'll get into that. But anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Rob. And um, I know it would be brilliant for us and also for our listeners. Yeah, thank you. And, and look, you know, Aston Martin's an iconic brand. Um, for, as, you, as you describe in Formula One, it's really having a moment right now. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a privilege to... Be able to engage a global fan base in Formula One, but represents that iconic brand that's Aston Martin. Um, never in a million years thought that I would I would end up in Formula One working for a brand like Aston, but it's, it, I guess it's just a, a a symptom signal of the path and the journey that, that I've been on to get here. Oh, I can't genuinely wait to, to hear about that journey. It sounds it's just incredible, as you say, and I'm sure many would describe it as being probably the best job in the world. But um, we'll dig into the detail, I'm sure, in a moment. But tell us how you're doing and how, how's the summer been for you? Um, how I'm doing, it, it's been a, a really interesting journey. You know, it really has. I, I, I came in off the back of eight years at McLaren and learned a lot about um, sports marketing, fan engagement, really putting the fan at the center of, of, of everything that we do. Um, Aston Martin, very different challenge to McLaren. You know, it's, it's, the, it's a truly luxury brand. But if you, if you lift and shift Aston Martin as a road car business, you know, it's beautiful, it's Bond's car, it's British. If you take that directly into Formula One, it doesn't quite work like, like that. It needs its own identity. Um, and it needs to be a little bit more inclusive, you know, the most inclusive, exclusive brand in sport. Um, really interesting positioning, and, and in some ways, it, every day we're walking a tightrope between the, the the luxury exclusivity of Aston Martin, but the need to be able to appeal to and bring in fans. You know, there's 800 million Formula One fans there. We want to make sure this brand can relate to those those fans. So it, every day is a really interesting journey, and I've, and I've built a team around me that you know, good people, good behaviours. Um, good habits and, and really working with them to get the best out of them um, in their roles and, and for the team. But as I say, it's a, it, it's a fantastic opportunity 
but it, it, you know, very aware of the responsibility of the Aston Martin brand, making sure that as we take it in this direction through the lens of Formula One, we're doing the right thing for the for a hundred nine year old legacy brand. But as I say, we're, we're we're mindful of where the world is at the moment in sport, um, where the world is in the environmental factors as well, and, and we're creating a modern Formula One team that can appeal to a, a broader audience. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd love to dig into how you've built your team because th this is to help people be successful as CMOs, new CMOs, but also getting into uh, the industry and may have never built a team. So we'll get into that. But I, I just want to pick up on that point uh, about it being a moment. Um, and very specifically, it's an interesting nuance. I'd not really sort of thought about that. How do you blend luxury to performance? Um, interesting sort of brand positioning challenge. But in terms of this fan thing, I, mean, I, I don't know, 800 million. I don't know if it was just Drive to Survive or one of the first sports to emerge from the pandemic, but tell us a little bit about this crazy world of F1 fandom. Yeah, there's no doubt that Drive to Survive has had a massive impact. But I think if you if you just start to break it apart a little bit, what's Drive to Survive all about? It's all about people, personalities, stories. And, and when I came into Formula One, um, I, I sat down with... with John Ellett, who was the, who was the CMO at McLaren at, at the time, we had a really great conversation about where the sport was at the time and you know, where brands were at the time as well. So you know, as, as a sport, it had got a little bit lost in the, in the technical regulations. Um, it was full of, of barriers and, and, and challenges to get into the sport. You, know, you needed to know the ins and outs of, of the tech regulations to really have an appreciation of the sport. Um, at the time, you know, going back to 2012 here, it was about, I think, keeping fans at arm's length and providing amazing experiences for those that had the opportunity to be in a paddock club. You know, it, was, it was that audience that would go down to the garage and really appreciate and feel and smell and touch what Formula One's all about. Um, and brands were, 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 in a way, empty vessels of, of sponsor logos. They weren't really developing their own personalities. Fandom was very much about drivers as well, more so than teams. And so John and I, you know, you, you look back at big moments in your career and big conversations, and that coffee I had with John was, was hugely um, influential in shaping sort of what I already knew and then being able to deploy it to say, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to warm up Formula One teams. We're, we're going to invite fans in. We're going to um, we're going to tell people stories and not be so focused on tech regulations. I've got to be honest with you, Mark. I, I probably don't know enough about the car, the regulations. You know, I, I, if I was touring you around a Formula One garage, it wouldn't take long. You know, I'd run out of knowledge pretty quickly. But I could tell you about people. I could tell you about you know the fans. You know, the, the people that make the sport. Um, and as I say, I think Drive to Survive has been one of the, if not the best, um, marketing uh, platforms really to open up the sport. But you know, don't overlook the power of social media, not just at McLaren or Aston Martin, but across the grid, um, teams and drivers doing amazing things on social to really you know, tell those people's stories and, and bring the sense of personality. And I'm a sports fan. You know, I, I love sport. Football is my, my sport as, as I was growing up. I'm, I'm a Birmingham City fan for my sins. Um, you know, and I've, I've travelled around the country um, watching Birmingham. You know, I went through a five or six year period where I, I, I barely missed a game home and away. And, and, and I love sport. I understand what, what fandom really means. But what I've learned is the need for, for sport to love you back. You know, I've given, I've travelled up to Newcastle on Tuesday night to support Birmingham City in the freezing cold and come back with my tail between my legs and seen another defeat. Um, but all I want from from Birmingham or all, all I want from Aston Martin F1 is a sense of loving me back. Mm. Know who I am. Create content and experiences that that uh, that harness my passion and and improve my sense of fandom. Um, and I think, you know, when, when I work with my team, I really try and install that, that mindset that, that, you know, we have to put fans first, front and centre. We're in the entertainment industry, we're in the sports industry. You know, we've got to bring fans in and really show them that we care about them. And if you get that model right, um, you won't go far wrong 
And, and I really don't believe, by the way, that that is ring-fenced to the world of sport. I think, you know, prior to McLaren, I worked for a home emergency insurances, uh, insurance company. Um, couldn't be more of a different world. But, but you know, what I learned about the customer, putting the customer first, understanding what the opportunities were to retain, upsell, you know, sell new products to, to customers, it starts with understanding the customer. And I brought into to sport that mindset of, right, let's really understand our fans. Let's show them that we, we appreciate them. Let's build content, platforms, experiences, physical and digital. Um, and in return, you know, you, you get the love, you, you harness that attention, you get the engagement, you provide an amazing platform to tell sponsor stories that, that increases the value of your, of your product and your proposition. And, and all things start to come together, that very simple approach of just, just appreciate the fans. And I think, as I say, Formula One has turned that corner. You know, you, you, and I know you've had Ellie Norman on there on, on the show, which done a fantastic job of, of, of pushing it down that line. And that's why I think Formula One's really having a moment right now, including in the States. Very important. You know, Las Vegas Grand Prix next year, Miami Grand Prix this year, you know, taking the product to the people and, and really sort of generating that buzz and excitement that, that exists um, natively around sport anyway. Just, just to come in before Richie comes back, I just love that thought, the sport to love you back. Um, and yeah, Vegas, November 23 is my sort of, you know, bucket list pipe dream. But anyway, let's, let's get back on topic. Over to you, Richie. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I wrote down exactly the same turn of phrase. It is, it's wonderful. And especially in a world, by the way, that we, as marketers, we get often told by the gurus that, you know, brands play a very unimportant, insignificant role in people's lives. Um, you know, the, this is very much the antithesis of actually becoming front and center of somebody's life. And of course, in a, in a sporting environment, um, you know, people are fanatical about F1 um, and, and the teams they support. Um, so I can, I can totally see, and see how it resonates, but also further afield into other industries too. And you obviously touched on the fact that you went from home serve into the industry and got into the motorsports industry from there. And I just like to maybe turn to that moment in time because it's probably un, probably fairly atypical that you go in from a, a traditional industry like that and then leverage your way into the role that you've, you clearly now are doing, which is insane. Um, how did that happen? And maybe what are the nuggets or magic source you think enabled you to get there that others can learn from? Yeah, Richie, what, what I guess is like even more atypical is the fact that, you know, I left the education system when I was 18 years old. I didn't go to university. I've never studied marketing in, in my life for, in an academic context. Um, and here I am now representing one of the world's most iconic global brands and the world's most you know, biggest sports. What, what I've, I've done is shaped a, a career um, where I've, I've learned a lot about the from different experiences, different people. You know, I'd, I'd go back to the start, as I say, I left at 18 and I played professional sport myself. I was a snooker player. You know, so I, I wanted to explore that passion. I came out with the grades that would have got me into a top university and took a decision to, um, to explore my passion and, and, and don't regret it for a, for a moment. You know, and I had a few great years and enjoyed what, what I did. Um, but then decided that you know, I wanted to get into marketing, build a career in, in that space. You know, again, never, never expected or dreamed that I'd work in sport. You know, wanted to work on, uh, on content marketing. And, and Mark, you touched on the fact that I opened a content marketing agency almost straight off the bat. Um, so I guess you know, I, I put myself in a, in a difficult position, situation on, on day one. I, I decided that in order to learn about marketing, the, those hard skills straight off the bat, I would have to go out there and, and apply myself and put myself in uncomfortable positions. And I had a friend at, um, at the Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce who, who introduced me to that as a platform. And at, and at, you know, at 7.30 in the morning with no qualifications in marketing, um, no real right in, in a way to, to be there, uh, I was turning up and, and presenting this, this opportunity as a content marketing agency. Um, 
that I could work with digital agencies at the explosion of digital who were going out there selling a service for, for website development ultimately. And then they were asking manufacturing companies, can you, can you supply us with 4,000 words of website copy? And I thought, well, this is, this is balmy. I had a passion for, for creating content, for storytelling. And I thought there's, there's a gap here. There's a huge gap in the market for, a, for, a, a, for what we now call content marketing agencies at the time. I don't think I, I realized truly you know, what, what the, the genesis of, of what I was going into uh, looked like. Built from there, built up a network of other, of other content creators, whether it was photographers or videographers or copywriters. And we started to get a really interesting thing going on where, where as I say, we were, we were partnering with web development agencies and, and going to market with a joint proposition. Um, and from there, I, again, it was a, one of those life's moments where you, you take a, a view. You know, is, is this where I'm, I'm, I'm going to carry on? Or at the time, I was probably spending too much time running the business. You know, and, and, and my passion, which, which you know, as you can tell, has been a, a big driver of what I do. I have to listen to, to what's important to me. My passion was for, for storytelling, not perhaps at that time running the business. Um, so I went in-house, went in-house and worked for a, a, a multinational company that had all sorts of, of arms to its business, from car leasing to children's services. Um, worked with some brilliant people, brilliant people, and, and, and identified early on who those brilliant people were that I could learn from. And as I said, started to build those hard skills um, around SEO, PPC, you know, the copywriting, uh, engaging audiences, you know, the core marketing skill sets. It, was, it really was on-the-job learning. Um, and from there, went to HomeServe and, and, and really got that awareness of, of e-commerce and far more of a commercial lens to my, to my marketing abilities. Um, and my, my, my situation now is because of the, the vision of McLaren to be able to, to look outside of sport and say what we want is somebody that understands audiences, understands the modern marketing mix and brings a slightly more commercial lens to the business over and above at the time in sport it was it was a little bit of an ecosystem of people who were moving around within formula one or from football into formula one and and then mclaren had the vision to go out there and find someone who could perhaps bring a slightly different lens to it and again you talk about big moments in, in your life and your career you know it was a phone call that that came to me you know I was sat just getting to my car in the, in the car park of home serving warsaw McLaren on the phone, would you like to come down and have a conversation? You know, John Allert again, you know, described the, the presentation that I, I gave at the back of that conversation as a dissertation. You know, I worked day and night to make sure that I went down and I absolutely smashed it out of the park in, in that interview process. That was my, my opportunity and I was, I was going to grab that. There was no way I was not going to win that, that role and that opportunity. And then, you know, stay true to, to the vision as to why McLaren looked outside of sports, found somebody that, that, you know, understood web, understood social, understood you know, the commercial side of, of sports um, and, and fan engagement and um, customer journeys, you know, phrases like customer journey and first party database, you know, a little bit new in, in sport. You know, Mark, you and I met at Marketing Society. I would turn up at Marketing Society evenings and, and listen and contribute. Um, and I was the only person there from the world of sport for, for so long. You know, I was, really was the black sheep in the room because I was, I was bringing in a completely different context, but I was learning. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting listening to your conversation with Ellie Norman. She had a similar uh, experience. She left the education system at 18. And you do, you, you sit with imposter syndrome a little bit and you're thinking, you know, I'm representing this global iconic brand and this sport and I'm taking it down this, this direction and I'm basing it on what I've learned and the skills, hard and soft skills that I've, I've, I've acquired. Um, yeah, you have to deal with it. You really have to deal with it and, and back yourself and, and then start to really work on your own personal development, uh, which I've spent a lot of time on. Um, you get to a point where you know you you say, look, this is the direction we're going in. I know enough. You know, I'll, I'll harness that 
that imposter syndrome. I'll turn it into energy, pass it on to my team, and you know, let's do amazing things. And uh, I left McLaren, and, and they were the, the at the time Formula One's favourite team. And um, well, what a lovely story arc uh, from snooker to all the way through uncomfortable positions. Interesting, you said about right to be there. Um, you know, I guess a bit of fake it till you make it, but you perfectly brought to life the squiggliness of careers. But what an arc, all, sort of almost perfectly all the way back to, to the beginning in terms of love of sport. You, you, you kind of answered the question I was going to answer. Ask, you answered the question I was going to ask on the back of that, which was about through that squiggliness, you know, how was your self-belief challenged? How did you build your self-belief? Um I mean, let's let's just go there a bit more. You, you do have an assuredness and a determination. So, and you talked a bit about the skills that have, have underpinned that, but how would you say you've kept your self-belief through those trickiest, squiggliest times? Yeah, it's a really good question, Mark. And um, my dad once gave me an, an analogy which I've held dear, which is pebbles and boulders. Learn what, what are the pebbles in life bad meeting, a bad email, something that didn't quite go right for you in a campaign. You can't carry them around with you. You, know, you start collecting pebbles from the second you wake up in, in, in life. It's just life. It's, just, it's, it's the messiness, as I describe it, of, of, of life. You've got to let them go. You've got, you've got to be able to, to brush them off. Um, it's the boulders that you pay attention to. And your ability to be able to define what's a pebble, what's a boulder. As a society, we've just gone through certainly the biggest boulder in my lifetime with the global pandemic. How do you react to that when, when take it into sport? They stop sport immediately. We've got, we've got partner contracts and we've got fans to engage and there's no product. Big boulder. You come together and you, you deal with it. Um, but look, in my early stage of the career, I was carrying around those pebbles constantly you know and I was taking them home with me and it was an effect on my personal life and partner it was hard I was, I was carrying this responsibility uh, for an amazing brand um, and I, I got to a point I think in my life where I recognized that this isn't healthy for me you know it, it, there is a, a determination conviction and a desire to you know, be the best and win and get to number one and, and, and all of that stuff. But I think in life, you, you have to look at what, what helps you and what hinders you. And, and I was carrying around so much baggage. I think it was hindering me. I didn't have the capacity to, to look at the bigger picture and see what I needed to, to see. So I, I've spent a lot of time and, and, and worked with really good people developing my personal um, skill sets and my, my ability to deal with, with stuff. You know, there's, there's still a slight stigma out there in, in the world about therapy or life coaching. On a weekly basis, I'll talk to either a therapist or a life coach, depending on what's going on in, in my world at that time. She helps me. You know, she helps me no end deal with, with stuff and make sure that I'm, I'm seeing the world through a, a, a clarity and, and I'm appreciating that perfection, getting it right, the critical parents, all this stuff, it's not helpful for you, it's hindering. And so I, I think what, I, what I've been able to do over the last few years in particular is, is take that determination, take the knowledge, um, take the hard skills that, that help me build things, but really work on the soft skills, really work on, you know, how do I understand me as a human being? How does that help me understand my team and connect with my team and coach and develop my team on a human basis. And how does it help me understand the audience as well? You know? And I think, it, as I say, it's, it's sometimes overlooked. We get fixated on you know, programmatic marketing or out-of-home campaigns or KPIs and board meetings. Perhaps you know, we've gone through a, a, a hell of a time over the last two or three years as a society people become far more aware on a human basis um, and I think it starts with really understanding yourself. Rob I don't know if you've uh, you've picked this up but across the narrative as you describe one word really keeps springing back up and that is understand 
and to understand and keep understanding. And it feels that it's very central to your philosophy. Um, and that's quite interesting because, of course, you took a brave move to not go into formal higher education back all those years ago. But yet your constant stream of learning is just iterating and continuing. And you can see that whether that's an internalization of learning amongst you, about yourself, whether it's the team, whether it's the skill set, it feels like there's this never-ending cycle of learning that you go through, as you say, on a daily, weekly basis, getting external help to help you do that. Quite incredible, actually, when I, when I think about the fact that you made a very brave decision to, to not even go and undertake formal learning back in that day. Um, so that was, that, that's, that's really quite, quite interesting for me. Um, I'm going to take you back to that moment probably when you were, and you even said, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that you got good enough grades to get into some of the best universities, but chose not to. Um, I'd like to maybe dig into that decision a little bit. And perhaps if there's somebody else listening and sitting in the shoes right now, I know you probably take a more balanced view as you're a bit older, but um, what would you say to them? Um, I've got all of the time, respect, appreciation for the, for the higher education system. And, you know, I think, I don't know whether I've recruited somebody who's had a similar path. I think, you know, not by design, but, but if I just look back at particularly my, my senior hires, I tend to have had a more traditional um, route into marketing than, than myself. Um, so I don't want to undervalue the, the brilliant educational and life experience that university delivers, for sure. But I think that there are other options and routes in. Um, if you can get in into get your foot into the door of an organisation, perhaps it's not a Formula One team, perhaps it's your local agency in the high street, you know, and, and listen and learn. You have to have the that, that sponge um, sort of attitude and behavior that I have you know, and the ability to be able to pick apart who are the brilliant people that you really do listen to and where are the, where are the examples that you might let that one go. You know, that's a skill. And I think, you know, and, they, and people say, you know, you, you join great companies, you leave bad bosses. You know, I've experienced it. You know, you sometimes, you know, you, you, you find the right people to listen to. You know, I'll, I'll drop another name in, you know, Stuart Petty, ECD at Havas Helia, known him for many years. Brilliant guy. You know, he's taught me no end of, of you know, the power of the one-word brief. You know, some of the best work we've done together has been on just a one-word brief and being able to break things down and simplify them. You know, those are... are um, of approaches and and habits um, that I'll, I'll carry with me through my whole career. I, I apply them on a on a day to day basis. I pass it on to the team. Can you can you break down what you're trying to do? Can you uh, can you provide the elevator pitch? Can you really simplify what we're trying to achieve here at Aston Martin F1 down to a one word or one line? If you can't. Perhaps you need to go away and, and crystallize the thinking a little bit more. You know, that's come from you know, seeing all sorts of agencies, how they operate, but in Stuart Petty, I see someone who I, I, I rate some of the, you know, the best people in the industry you know, and really looking at how he approaches um, his, his work and his philosophy and learning from that. I don't know whether I would have picked that up from university. You know? So I think my message is you pick up those hard skills and those life skills from university, whether you go in, into the university system or not. But then I think you've got to take away the, the viewpoint of even if you come out with, with, with that degree and, and, and that qualification, you still need to go out and listen, watch, and be a sponge. And I think, you know, I'm, I took the job as Aston Martin F1 CMO at 37 years old. You know, if we're having this conversation next week, I'm probably going to give you some different answers. You know? And I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm, I'm aware of that. The amount of sleep that I had last night, my meeting with the CEO yesterday, it's probably shaping how I feel today, you know, and, and, and being aware of, of that, um, being conscious to that and, and you know, passing that skill on, that, that, that's learning about, you know, everyday life. I'm 38 years old now. 
I'm probably going to have a different viewpoint in, in a few years for sure about things. But at the moment, you know, it is what it is. I'm happy with where, where I am. And, um, and it's, it's, it is underpinned, though, by a, a determination and, and a drive. You know, I, do, I do still pass on you know, the, not just the softer skills, but the, the mantra to, to our team of the, the, the discipline, determination of working in Formula One, the responsibility and opportunity that we have. Um, and I think that's what makes a modern leader, by the way, the ability to be able to connect with people on a human basis, but still have the, the discipline, the drive you know, to get the best out of people and, and, and to help them get the best out of themselves. Um, I'd love to know what that conversation with the CEO was yesterday, but let's not, let's not go into that one. Um, one word brief. Very good. Uh, you reminded me, somebody, a creative pair that I loved working with way back in the day. Um, said, you do know that when we get a brief as a pair of creatives, we take out the scissors, we chop out everything apart from one word or one line, stick that on the wall, obsess about that for a couple of days, and then the magic starts to happen. So for all the puff around briefs, you're, you're spot on. Um, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Right at the top, you talked about uh, your team, the importance of teams. You just touched into leadership there. Um, what, what, what's it like to, to work for Rob Bloom? Um, I think it's probably quite tough, you know, but I don't know whether you, you, you're watching um, All or Nothing Arsenal at the moment, which is, um, you know, a lot of people are giving a lot of credit to Mikhail Arteta, you know, who I would describe as a modern leader. You know, he, can, he can relate to people on a human basis and inspire and galvanise, um, but he drives, he drives them hard. You know, he he's has ambition at Arsenal as to what he wants to do and he's, and he's, he's getting there. Um, and I would say working for me is, is probably the same. You know, I, I, I want to be able to take that one word brief philosophy and bring it into the team. So help simplify the message, the ambition, the story and galvanise people behind that objective and make sure I relentlessly repeat and focus on what are we trying to do here. Aston Martin, we're trying to pe bring people in to be part of it. You know, bring your thing, the I am philosophy, um, help us co-create our story and our journey as we move forward. You know, and, and that was something that was established on day one and, and on a daily basis. We, we, we're using that kind of language. So a rally a team behind goal um, with some clear KPIs and objectives behind it. And then, you know, as is Formula One, it's about incremental gains and constant state of improvement, development, there's a feedback loop that is constant. Every Monday morning, we start off our team meeting, 8.30 in the morning, and we're talking about the Grand Prix weekend that's just gone by. What do we do? What do we do differently? What do we learn? Um, and by the way, I want the team there at 8.30 ready to go, you know, ready to, to learn, ready to engage. They're walking at 8.35, you know, I think in Formula One, you learn if you walk in at 8.35, you know, your 2.4 second pit stop might be 2.5 seconds. And it translates into marketing. You know, that, that piece of content that goes out there that, that doesn't really, isn't really framed correctly on Instagram or, or the lighting's not quite right on the television or the, the out of home isn't quite positioned right in the context of 5,000 people walking past it at one time. Those are, those are a, a softer skills that I believe truly impact the output. And so I say to the team, though, I don't want a, a poor work-life balance. I'm not asking 15-hour days. And I've heard recent conversations where, where it's all about um, be working hard enough, but demand hard work. No, I, I just demand that you're present, that you're engaged, that you share my appetite, that you listen to that, that simple ambition. And that we collectively, you know, we get excited, we wake up, we're motivated, and we're taking the team on a journey. And it's incredibly rewarding, particularly given that, you know, the immediacy of feedback online now. You, you create a piece of content that goes out there, you see the, the fans not just engaging, but, but thanking the team. You know, thank you for giving us that level of insight or that level of access. You know, it's amazing being an Aston Martin F1 fan. No, and, and then it, it becomes a virtuous circle. You really start to get um, excited by and empowered by, um, by that. But, you know, that 
I'm aware that there's a lot of me that, that is coming to the table in, in the way that I shape the team. And you know, I've learned a little bit to, to recognise that my leadership team cannot just be cookie cutters of, of me. I have to take a step back and say, look, that's, that's your way. I probably wouldn't have approached it that way, but I respect, I respect how, you want to, how you want to go about that. Go and do it. You know, I back you to do it. If it goes wrong, you know, we'll learn from it. It's, it's a pebble. It's probably a pebble. We're just going to brush it up. We're going to learn, learn from it. We're going to take it on to the next thing. And if, if, you know, if there's a big, big issue, I've given you the sign-off. I've empowered you to do it. I'll take the back for it. It's not a problem. So, you know, it's, it's the sports mentality. And at times it feels like the, the mockery of a, of a sports team and you're a marketing team. If I, worked, if I moved outside of sport one day and worked you know, back in a, in a, in a more a commercial, retail, consumer brand, I'd probably approach it the same way because I don't believe that those behaviours are, are just because we're marketing the Formula One team. I think when we talk about empowerment, simple briefs, galvanising a team behind a, a simple message, the, the confidence to back people and give them confidence to express themselves, the discipline, though, and the drive. You know, if you're a fashion brand, you should be looking for me at other fashion brands and saying, how do we beat them? You know, what are the metrics of which we, we measure ourselves by? What are they doing? You know, can we do something, something more creative and innovative ourselves? Because, look, though, everything, you know, we spend a lot of our lives at work. I want people to wake up in the morning and be excited and, and feel inspired and, and really go out there and nail it. And that, that will, will result, you know, you'll see the output and the outcome of the work. Robert, it seems like there's a real sense of competitiveness that drives right through you. Clearly, you're in the right spot at the moment. But even beyond that, you know, the way that you, you talk, um, it, it feels very no-nonsense, um, a clear focus, um, you know, you come in, in and, and structure and, you know, you come in with grit and persistence. I actually wonder, where does that come from? What, 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 was, what was Rob's life growing up? Um, I, I don't overlook the significance of playing snooker at the level that I did. No, I was competing from seven, eight years old probably shaped me to an extent you know I've, I've probably learned a lot from that that's why I say I don't regret doing it because I, I learned a lot from it um, you know it, it it's also about you know I've been in Formula One for 10 years you can't help but be shaped by the competitive nature of it and we are in competitive environments inside and outside of sport the world's competitive you know whether you're competing against your own targets and ambitions or 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 other teams and measure yourself in that success so yeah I'm, I'm a competitor you know there's a question as to are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose you know perhaps my upbringing my childhood there's a sense of playing not to lose you know critical parent that that bit inside you that that you know you say what what if i'd have just gone that extra mile or i'd have done that so maybe it's it's a combination of my my upbringing society but i, I say i wouldn't i wouldn't overlook the the impact of working in formula one for, for 10 years and the competitive nature of our world can i just jump in just for a second what was it like growing up with critical parents and what do you think the impact of that could have on doing that? Um, I mean, look, the, the critical parent phrase is, 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 I think, more about the, the development of you as a person, so, you know, the adult, the child, the critical parent, and that whether that bit of you is is awake and 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 alive. And I think we all have a little bit of that inside us. So it's it's more metaphorical than, than literal. Um, but you know, my my family were unbelievably helpful and supportive school or or through snooker or anything I wanted to do you know, they, they, they gave me a they just opened the doors and and I think maybe that's it you know that they opened the doors 
and they gave me the opportunity to jump through them. And um, and I think that's a philosophy that I take now. Like I, I give my team, you know, I'll open the door for you, show me that you want to jump through it and, and, and you know, show yourself that you can, even if it feels uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, I yes. Uh, so it's very, very interesting, the competitiveness bit. Um, just a reflection, we had Karen Blackett on in the early days of the show and she was a national level sprinter and she talked about what, what competitive sports people have is the ability, the voracious appetite for feedback because you get it all the time, either through a coach or your results. And that, that strikes me that your, your learning is fueled by being, by ne- needing to get that feedback, accepting it, inviting it, whereas a lot of people run away from it. So can you say a little bit more about the role of feedback, both for you and also in the way you give feedback to your team? Yeah, I think, you know, don't forget the point at which I entered marketing was was the explosion of digital, which gave you an immediacy of of results, um, far more than than we had in the marketing world for the previous 15, 20 years. So... um, I think I, I, I very quickly learned that you know, action will, pro- will provoke a reaction, which will enable you to measure and report. And, and I think, I don't think that's unique to me. I think in, in, our, in our world right now in marketing, um, we're able to measure very quickly. Um, and then that allows us to build a set of KPIs. By the way, you know, if you hit every single KPI, then your KPIs are far too lenient and you're near stretching yourself enough you'll miss things you know and there'll, there'll be kpis big kpis that, that we're not quite on track for um so you have to be you have to you know take the rough with the smooth if, if you do have that that constant sense of measurement reporting feedback you know if it's all rosy and every time that you you, you submit a report to the to the CEO, every single KPI you're absolutely smashing it. There's probably something wrong with the way that you set any KPIs. And I think a good CEO will see that as well. And you have to be able to stand behind it and say, look, you know, we're ninth on track this year out of 10 teams. You know, it, it has a knock-on effect to things like media values. We're not going to hide behind that. We'll win the world championship, we'll get more TV exposure. I'm not giving away any trade secrets, it's, it's common sense. Um, but we understand it, you know. Fantastic work that's going on in the background at Aston Martin F1 to, to build a world championship winning team. New factory, amazing hires that are coming into the building, growing the team. Uh, just taken on board Fernando Alonso as our driver for next year. It'll be really exciting. And I'll work with Fernando at McLaren. Can't wait to work with him again. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the background that will directly impact the, the marketing performance. I know that. The business knows that. The things that I can shape, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at the, the results from a campaign that might be a little bit of a, of a step beyond what's just happening on track. And what we do on TikTok, to an extent, you know, can be a little bit immune to what's happening on track for us. And, the, and we'll look at those a little bit more acutely and say, you know, We've got a fantastic partnership with TikTok. Are we maximizing that? Are we innovating? Are we creating? Are we disrupting? You know, and, and, and as I say, the immediacy of digital and social in particular will give you those results to be able to analyze. You've got to be a really, really tough cookie here because you're operating in an environment where probably the biggest unknown variable comes from within the business itself as in the performance of, you know, the team. And yet you can't predict that. You don't know how it's going to pan out. And yet it has such an insatiable role to play in the success of what you do day in, day out, Rob. It's kind of like, God, it must be a tricky little position, right? And, 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 and clearly full of a need to be very reactive. I mean, do you almost have like a storm room or something which you go into like after every track race and kind of go, how do we deal with this? Or how do you how do you deal with that sort of, I guess in some ways, planned spontaneity or just spontaneity? I mean, well, how does that work in your world? Yeah, there's it would be naive to believe that you are immune from what's happening in the core product. You know, whether or not you're talking about a Formula One team 
or a brand that has a core product in supermarkets. You know, the performance and the quality of the product will have a knock-on effect to your marketing and your PR and the conversations going on around your brand. But I like to, to try and flip it and say, okay, so what is in, in our control? What can we control? So the British Grand Prix this year, our factory is, is across the road from the Silverstone circuit. Yeah. It is literally our home Grand Prix. We're an iconic British brand. We're a luxury brand. I could have gone out there and with the team created a campaign that was just Union Jacks everywhere. Very simple, and it would have been relatively effective in doubling down on the story about Aston Martin as the British team at Silverstone. Instead, our approach was about inclusivity and diversity in Formula One. We went out there with a message of all in, all welcome, all celebrated. We had Martin Hibbert, um, an amazing guy who, who um, was, was injured in the Manchester bombing and has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in a wheelchair. You know, unbelievable guy, unbelievable story, massively inspirational. You know, he sat next to Sebastian Vettel talking about inclusivity and the need for society to, to think a little bit more open-minded about how it, it, it provides people in wheelchairs with access. You know, it's a big departure from the Union Jacks of, on a few graphics talking about a home Grand Prix. We're creating a, a, a narrative, a story, generating a conversation around you know, can Formula One continue to improve in terms of its, its inclusivity? Um, can we as a brand take a bit of a humble approach and say, what can we do more to make sure that we, we are inviting people in from a, from a fan point of view, from an employee point of view, and driving a DNI agenda around the British Grand Prix? Now, that's in our control. What happened on the circuit that weekend doesn't massively impact the power of that story. And if you look at the, the conversation on Reddit or the reaction to, to posts around content and that roundtable that I've just described, people are saying, Aston Martin, you're trying to, to change and disrupt and do the right thing. And we, we respect you and, and you see, you see the, the passion coming back from the fans. And, and that's about doing the right thing, but it's about positioning the brand as a modern team, as progressive, that want to stand for the right things and do the right things. That's where you get a little bit of immunity with what, what's happening on the track that weekend. And the fans see it. The fans are, uh, are worldly enough to see there's a brand there that, that's trying to do the right things and change the sport for better. Thank you, Rob. I'm a bit of a hairs on the back of the neck moment. That answer actually, uh, climbing Kilimanjaro in a wheelchair. Um, goodness me, um, the time has shot by, so this is going to be the last question. You're only 38, <laughs> you've achieved a lot. It might have taken other people a couple more decades to have achieved as much, so you've still got a long way to go. What's what does the future hold? What do you aspire to in the rest of your career? I, I think because I've, I've, I've been able to see how I've affected change. In Formula One, you know, built now two brands that that you know it, 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 changing the way that, that the sport engages fans and, and brings fans in and gives them a role. You know, any challenge that I take on for the future, I want to feel that there's a there's this is a worldly societal change that I can affect. That's what gets me keeps me interesting. You know, I. I'm in a level of the business where you know I understand the commercials. I, I, I get I get how the business ticks, but if I can just stay true to that philosophy of audience first, fan first, whether that's in a charity, whether that's in a sports team, whether that's in a retail brand that stands for the right things and wants to do the right things and build a business. As I said, I didn't I didn't plan or expect to work in sport, and, and I don't know what whether that's me for my career in sport. But, um, but as you've picked up in this conversation, I am ambitious. Um, I do have a determination. I do want to see results and, and affect change. And, 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 I, and I love working with people. You know, I, I love developing teams and watching talent grow. And you know, two, two of the other Formula One teams in the grid have got people leading their digital and social teams who are recruited 
uh, McLaren and have since gone elsewhere. And it's great, you know, I love seeing those, you know, they've climbed the ladder, they're now doing things their own way. And, and you know, so I like to, to work with teams and you know, wherever that takes me moving forward, just to be able to see, see people grow internally and see fans and customers respond uh, externally. Incredible. I tell you, it, it, I had to do a double take when Mark said just 38. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of, amount of traction you've already covered here, Rob. And I'm saying you only look 38. We're not saying you look that. It's the gray hair, yeah? <laughs> Clearly. I, this, is, this is the moment where we try and, and do a little bit of a bow on some of the key themes here. But I actually think it's very difficult to, to put a bow on, three, on, on the things you've talked of. But actually, Rob, I think you've given us a masterclass in, in three real ways, to be honest. The first thing was very much a, a marketing-centric view of actually how to do killer marketing and create a fan base quite like no other and, and leverage on that um, over time. And I think some of the things you talked about, whether you, know, you talked about having your fans um, love you back was, was an incredible sort of phrase, turn of phrase, but also some of the technical elements around that. And clearly your content marketing, storytelling abilities have held you in great stead on that front. You then, you then took us through a, a masterclass on perhaps a little bit of life lessons and, and being tenacious and you know, seeing things through the lens of pebbles and boulders was a lovely way of, of being able to disseminate the good things or more important things than maybe the inconsequential ones. And it's something that I'm going to take away wholeheartedly. And then the final thing that I think you really give us a masterclass on was around a sense of team um, and the balance between being tough but genuinely fair and backing your team uh, to, to do the right things. And if they don't go wrong, just like in sport, like a good team captain would, you've got their backs. And I think that was, that was just really, really cool, the way that you've been able to pull apart so many different types of concepts and areas. And um, just want to really thank you for your time, Rob. It's been really, really cool. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Just, uh, just a couple more thoughts. Sorry, I think, Richie, you caught the key things, but um, I, I appreciated you, that you were a very focused and determined and competitive person, but in a good way with the right end in mind. I also thought you brought to life squiggliness really well. So you've made some decisions that might have been unconventional, but have paid dividends. And then I, I just love the simplicity, you know, pebbles and boulders, one word brief. Um, you know, really clean thinking, which has not come from, uh, you know, which comes with, with work and effort, actually. So I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a, your fruits are not by luck, but by determination and effort, which is a great lesson to all of us. You know, um, that old expression, you know, the, the more I trade, the luckier I get, you know, it's, it's at some point it comes down to effort. But no, it's been, been brilliantly insightful. Um, a decade in Formula One. I'm excited for what comes next. I'm not saying you're done in what you're doing now, but where else could you go and do amazing things? So thank you for your time this morning, Rob. Yeah, thank you, Mark. As I say, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.